Good morning. Welcome out 11 o'clock. Glad you guys are here. If you're in the house, could you help me welcome those that are joining us online today? We're glad you're with us wherever you're tuning in from. Those of you on Facebook or live.vale.church or on our YouTube channel, thanks for being here. A special welcome to Texas, Florida, Iowa, Arkansas, Colorado, Michigan, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Alabama, Arizona, Georgia, of course, Illinois. We're glad you are here. We are in a series entitled Just Getting Started. And I know it's Mother's Day. And you're like, well, hey, are we going to do a special message for moms? Um, no, no, we're not. Um, we are in a series, and uh, we want to continue that series because we've got this limited kind of window for four weeks uh, where we're talking about this concept of what does it look like for the church to be on mission, and how do we accomplish that mission? And so we entitled it Just Getting Started because the church is always in a spot where we should just be getting started. There's not, a, there's not an end spot. There's not a destination for the church. There's consistent things we do over and over so the kingdom of God can grow and so that we can grow. And what we've decided is that um, we looked back over kind of the course of the New Testament and the early church, and we found there was kind of four major things that the people of God were asked to do consistently that helped not just them, but it also helped the church. It helped move forward God's plan and God's mission. And so we decided for this series, we would take four weeks, four topics, and unpack those things. And today I get to talk about one that I'm actually really passionate about, and, and that'll kind of come to light as to why I'm really passionate about it. But I want to start off with a question, all right? Um, or maybe just remind you of a time where uh, you went to school, you walked into class, whether that was high school or college, and the teacher said, are you ready? And you said, ready for what? And the teacher looked at you and said, the test. And you were like, what test? And they dropped a test on you, a pop quiz out of nowhere. Now, some of you, you didn't mind that. Some of you were test takers. You were like, let's go, challenge accepted. The majority of you were like, please God, no, right? You just had that instant feeling of like, I don't feel prepared, I don't feel ready, I don't like a test because what if it doesn't go well? And I started thinking about this concept of tests and as you look through the Bible, there are some things that God actually wants to test you on. In fact, in the Bible, it talks about that there's times you'll go through trials and seasons of hurt and pain, and you think, well, God, why would you allow that? And yet the Bible actually says that those trials are for the testing of your faith, that they're there to produce something in you. Well, there's also another test that we find in scripture, and it revolves around the concept of giving. That there's this thing that God does every couple weeks when you get paid, and he actually tests you to answer this question. Do you trust him in your life? Do you trust him with your finances? And it's, and it's a hard test. It's not one that a lot of people like to go through, that a lot of people to t like to take. And so I'm gonna talk about today the concept of giving. And you might be like, oh, I hate that I came to church on a day that we're talking about giving. And I can tell you, we only talk about it once or twice a year. We don't preach on it a lot. And I would tell you, that's probably not great. We probably should preach on it more because in the Bible, Jesus talked about giving a ton. In fact, I, you might find this really interesting. I did. Jesus only talked about one topic more than he talked about money. Did you know that? Like if you read through the gospels, he talked about one topic more than he talked about money. And that was the kingdom of God, kind of a big topic. He said, this one's really important. I want you to know what the kingdom of God is like. But other than that, the second topic he talked about the most was money. In fact, if you go to the New Testament, you'll find this one out of every 10 verses in the Bible has to do with money and possessions. If you were to look at the parables that Jesus told, really interesting, 16 of 38 parables that Jesus told had to do with money and finances. Why? Because money was a very integral part of people's lives, even in the first century. And I would say that's still true today. In fact, it was Jesus that said these words, where your treasure is, your heart is. Where your money is, your heart is. And if you've ever wanted to take this test, I dare you to do it. Go look at where you spend your money. You're going to find real quick, it lines up with what you're passionate about. 
right? Some of you like real quick, I can look at your check, checking account or your credit card bill and say, you love golf, right? I can tell you that. Some of you, I can say, you love your car. Some of you, you love your kids. You're paying those college bills. You're like, yeah, I do. I can't wait for them to be done, right? Like, like there's some love there and there's some passion there. And so you put your resource in the places that you care about. And that's what Jesus recognized and that's what Jesus told the people. That's why it mattered. And so let me start on the outset before I get into a topic on giving because the moment you start preaching on it, people always assume there's an ulterior motive. And I can tell you churches have done horrible with this. Pastors have done horrible with this. And so I wanna just say something on the outset and I will defend that at the very end, that this is true. Today, I wanna kind of release you from the burden of feeling anxiety about me preaching on money. And the way I'm gonna do that is by telling you this one thing. I want nothing from you today. That's not my goal. My goal is not to convince you to give. There isn't like some type of shortage at Vail where like giving's down, I need to get giving up. Ted, you better preach it before you leave. Like, like that's not the case. But I can tell you this. The reason I wanna preach on this today is because I want everything that God has for you, I want you to have. I want God's best for you. And that's how I'm going to preach that today. And so that's gonna give me some freedom to preach it in a way that could be offensive. And that's not my purpose. But my purpose is to release you into a place where you actually might find that God wants to bless your life. And so I wanna start real quick here with a theme, and I wanna take you through these three boxes, and some of you have to see them up on the screens because they're kind of a bad angle here, but I got three boxes here. These represent the three different areas in which we spend traditionally, right? You usually have three areas. We have a place that we usually have pay our bills, pay our debts, then hopefully there's something we're saving because the future is always coming, right? And then we have this one that is kind of the spot where we give. And usually, traditionally, we go in this order. We spend, we pay our bills, we pay our debts, then hopefully there's a little bit left for us to save. And then, and only then, if there's a little bit left, we give God whatever's left. And it can kind of be a hit or miss thing. It can be like based on what's going on in my life. Like if bills have gotten high or things have fallen apart, we can be like, you know what? God's not gonna get anything this month. Maybe next month, God. Like maybe if you were with me, God, and you'd bless me a little bit, if my truck hadn't broke this week, if like, if like expenses hadn't climbed this week, you know, there'd been more for you, God. So maybe if you'd have helped me out, this would have been more. And I would tell you that here's why this can actually not work very well. In fact, theologically, it doesn't work. And I can tell you with all love that this doesn't work. Here's why it doesn't work. Because in this way of thinking, it goes me, me, God. It goes me, me, God, and what happens is, is you put God in the last place in a spot that he probably should have the first place, especially if someday you want his help in your life in that area. And yet so many times we will put God last and not even think about it. And here's where the problem comes. Biblically, theologically, God wants to be first. In fact, I would say this, God cannot bless any area of your life where he is not first. And I actually used a word that a lot of people don't like about God because a lot of people like to say, well, God can do anything. And I would actually say that biblically, there are some things that God cannot do. One of those things is he actually cannot bless you in an area where he is not first. And I'll show you that scripturally in the Bible. But let me take you first to Proverbs chapter three, verse nine. Here's what it says. It says it this way. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Say wealth. He says, you're gonna have some things that pass through your hands, things that are gonna be yours, things that have value. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. Say first fruits. I'll explain more about that later. He says, listen, there's wealth and there's first fruits. And if you can take those things and honor the Lord with them of all of your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. He says, there's actually this response thing that happens with God that when you honor him with the things that pass through your hands, God is in position to bless you in the other areas of your life. 
He says, this is kind of the trick. This is the way that God works. And in order to see this, you have to go back to the very beginning. There was a time that um, God basically told Moses, gather the people of Israel, and I want you to tell them the most important thing. I want you to tell them the thing that I want them to know more than anything else. And you can find this in Deuteronomy. It's this really cool passage in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Here's what Moses said to the people of Israel. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Say heart. He says, and with all your soul. Say soul. And with all your might. Say might. Here's what he basically said. With everything that you are, with everything that's inside of you, everything that's at your disposal, everything that's available to you, you are to love the Lord your God with all of it. He goes, that's the number one thing I want you to know. That's the number one command I want you to get, love God. And then he went on to say this. He says, these are the words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He says, there's this thing I want you to get. I want you to love God with everything you are. And if he says your heart is where your treasure is, and that means your treasure plays a part in the way that you love God and the way that you respond to God. And yet it's so difficult, isn't it? Right inside each and every single one of us, there's this thing that we don't like to talk about a lot, but it's just there. So let's just own it. It's called selfishness. Now, I don't know how many of you would say that you're selfish, but you can find out real quick that you don't have to train people to be selfish. Like if you've been around little kids, give them a toy and watch them. Right? It doesn't take very long before the toy all of a sudden becomes very valuable to them and they will look at anyone else who might want that toy and they will say these words, it's mine. They will let you know. And I would love to tell you that that just happens with kids. You know, we grow out of that, right? I was in my 13-year-old's room the other day. I came in after there'd been a little tiff. I was coming in to check in on her. And my 13-year-old looked at me and said, get out of my room. I said, I'm so sorry. What did you say to me? <laughs> you see, I don't think you understand something here. When you said, get out of my room, what you misunderstood is that this is actually my room and I'm allowing you to live here right now. <laughs> like, I think you misunderstood. Like, like this is mine. Because I then went down the list just to make it, you know, really, really clear. I said, hey, when was the last time you paid the mortgage? <laughs> I just want to check. This next month is available if you would like to chip in at any time. <laughs> Right? When's the last time you took care of this room? Like, you know, holes in the wall. Who patched those? Who painted it? Who put the carpet in it? Right? When your fan was broken, who fixed it? I just, I got questions, right? And I remember she said this word. She said, get out of mine. Mine just is innate in us. And I would love to tell you that, that I'm so far from that. But even in that moment, as I'm explaining to her that it's not hers, that it's mine, I have to have this reality moment that I recognize this, that that house isn't even mine. Now, there's a whole depth of conversation here. It technically belongs to the government because you pay taxes and they will always own that land. Um, sad. But, but the reality is, is that house actually isn't mine. Because everything that I have, if I truly believe what the Bible tells me, is that every single gift that I have, every dollar I've ever made, every gift and talent that has ever been used at my disposal to make income has been given to me by my heavenly father. It is a gift. 100% of it is from him. That's just true. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's between you and God. I just, that's what I believe. And yet in that moment, I'm telling her, it's not yours, it's mine, but it's not even mine, it's God's. God has given it to me to steward and I'm allowing you to steward it, but it's not yours. And we have this hard time understanding that. And I love what it says in Isaiah. I love it. Here's what it says. It says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
He says, hey, the way you think about things is not the way I think about things. The way I see things is not the way that you see things. And we see that in the Bible that God's like, hey, there's a different way of doing things. And so God came up with this principle. He said, here's what I wanna do. I wanna make it really simple for you to engage with me. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm going to ask you to give back to me a portion of everything that passes through your hands. And he came up with this term, this thing called the tithe. In fact, say tithe, kind of a weird word. It comes from the Hebrew word maser. And maser means 10th. It's an actual percentage. I've heard people throw around like, oh, I tithe. And when you ask them, oh, so you give a 10th, they're like, well, well, no, I just give something. Something is not the tithe. The tithe actually means the 10th. And, and it's a symbol or it's something that really kind of connects for everybody because it doesn't matter what you have. That's why it's interesting. Like it's not an amount, it's a percentage. And the reason it's a percentage is because it works across all levels. But it, it becomes harder the more you have, doesn't it? Here, let me give you this example. Um, I, my kids uh, at, at our house right now, I've got a 13 and 11 and a seven-year-old. Um, they get paid at our house. They get a salary. Um, every week they get to come in. Mom has the money. She pulls it out of this bag that we've got and they do their chores throughout the week. And if they've completed all their chores, they get, get a salary for keeping their room clean, doing things around the house, vacuuming certain rooms, bathrooms, things like that. And if they did all the jobs, they get the full salary. If they don't do all the jobs, they get a portion of it. And so we always do this little divvy out. And when they were kids, we have these little moon jars that have three compartments. And shockingly, they're the same three compartments that are up here. We have one that's called spend, one that's called save, and one that's called give. And every time we pay them, we make them then divide out what goes to God, what goes to savings, and what they get to spend. And when we started out, it was fun because you give a kid a dollar, like 10 dimes, and then you tell them that the first time goes to God, they look at the 90 cents that are left and they go, wait, I get to keep the 90? And you're like, yeah, that's, that's yours. You can spend any way you want. They're like, God gets 10, but I get 90. I'm like, uh-huh. They're like, this is amazing. I'm like, cool. <laughs> Great, like made sense for them, no problem. The moment they got $10 is the moment that like, my kids were still like, wait, so a dollar goes to God, but I get to keep $9. And I'm like, yes. They're like, yes, this is awesome. I'm like, okay, this is working. It's when my daughter got to a little bit older age and she started babysitting and she started making what she would call real money that all of a sudden she had $100 in her hands and she's like, how's this work? I said, what do you mean? You're 13. You should know how the percentage still works, right? It's still 10%. So $10 goes to God, 90 is yours to spend. And it was funny because it was for the first time that she went, huh? Because there's a lot of things I could do with $10. When it was a dime, it wasn't that big of a deal, but $10, there's some things I can do with that. And all of a sudden, I found it interesting. What started out as no big deal when it was 100 pennies, and then it became $10, then it became $100. All of a sudden, the 10% grew, but you know what also grew? The 90%. But what's amazing is before when they saw 90, went, yay, God is good, quickly became, but what about the 10? The 10 got big too. And even though the 90 grows with the 10, it didn't matter. Something shifted in her. And I'll be honest, isn't that the way it works for us as adults? Like I find that it's easy to be faithful when things are small. It's when they become big, it can become hard. Because when it's $1,000, it means 100 of it's God's. When it's 100,000, it means 10,000 of it's God's. When it becomes a million, 100,000 of it's God. When it becomes 10 million, a million of it is God's. And yet God gave us the percentage because he wanted to teach us something about faithfulness. And so here's, let me show you where it says in the Bible this. I want to show you this. Here's what's cool. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Say full. full. Say tithe. tithe. He says all of it. He says, bring all of it. And he says this statement. He says, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. It's the next verse though that's shocking, all right? And this is where I want to teach you the biblical principle that I think is transformational. And this is where I will prove to you, I want nothing from you, but I want everything that God has for you. Here's this part two. 
Here's what he says after. He said, if you bring in the tithe, he goes on and says this, and thereby put me to the test. Say test. God wants to test us. He wants us to test him. He says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He says, listen, if you want to test me and see who I am, be faithful here and see me bless you. And I think this verse can get so misconstrued because you know, we tend to think about blessings. We think of blessings as money. We always do. Like I, I meet people all the time when, when they've been blessed with a lot, we go, oh, you, you, you're blessed. And basically we say you're wealthy. And yet in the Bible, the word blessed does not mean money. In fact, there's so many different ways that God can bless you beyond money. In fact, if I told you to give money to God and he'll give you more money, that's not actually a trust factor. That's just treating God like a vending machine, right? You're like, God, I put it in, you give it back, right? And if everybody could do that, like if I told you if you tithe 10% right now, you get 40% back, every single one of us would tithe because we'd be like, that's the best investment ever. Let me sign up me up for that. Like, let me get that. That's prosperity gospel, and that's not in the Bible. All right. And there's a lot of pastors that tell you that it is, but I can show you verse after verse at verse and show you that that's not true. It's not give and God gives you more. But here's what I can tell you: the Bible says that God's blessings will be poured out on you. I don't know how that can play out. That could play out in your health. That could play out in your work. That could play out in your relationships. In fact, I think someday we're gonna get to heaven. And you'll have the opportunity to stand before God and say, hey, God, can you show me all the times that you protected me that I could not see? And some of us are gonna be blown away by all the times that God was standing in the way of harm that was coming our way. And God was defending us because his power and his blessing was standing before you, behind you, beside you, beneath you, and above you. His power is present. It comes down to, do you believe that? And you see, this is the principle and I wanna give it to you. All right, now I'm just gonna ask you a question. You think about it, you process it in your own way. This is just where I've landed. And this is what I think is true. I believe that 90% with the blessing of God is way better than 100% without his blessing. And he says, this is the principle, the reason he does it. Now, here's what I would tell you. This is all about a test. It's about a test. And so let me give you this in, in an illustration that I think really works. Um, in the Bible, did you know that the number 10 is actually the number of testing all throughout the Bible? The number 10 is. I'll show you. Um, real quick, let's, I'm gonna ask a question. I want you to participate with me, go on the journey. Um, those of you that remember the story of Moses going to Egypt to set the Israelites free, when he went there, there were plagues that fell. How many plagues were there? 10, Ten right? How many commandments are there in the Bible? Ten. 10 commandments, right? We know this. How about this? Let me go down a list of you. Um, how many um, times did God test Israel in the wilderness? 10, all right? There's a theme here. It's not that hard. Stay with me, all right? How many times were Jacob's wages changed? How many days was Daniel tested? How many disciples did Jesus have? All right, you were listening. All right, I was just testing you. Um, here's the concept. All throughout the Bible, the tithe, 10, is a test. I'm gonna give you my favorite one. All right, I've got like a couple minutes, but let me see if I can make this happen. Um, there's a time that the nation of Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. They'd wandered around, wandered around. Well, finally, they were gonna be taken into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And it was in this moment that God said, I'm gonna take you into this, this, this village, this area, and I'm gonna give you this land, but in order to get it, you're gonna to have to conquer some cities that are in the way. And these cities were fortified, they were armored, they had uh, soldiers, they had armies, they were terrifying. And the people of Israel said, I don't think we can defeat them. And God said, if I'm with you, you can defeat anything you have to trust me. He said, I want you to walk across that river. I want you to take that city. And he goes, and I will be the one that goes before you. But he gave them a rule. Here's what he told them. 
He said, when you conquer that city, when you take that city, 100% of the spoils of war are gonna come back to me. They're gonna come into the house of the Lord. And the story went like this. They went in, they conquered the city. God gave them the city. They destroyed the army. They won the city and they took the spoils of war, but they did not give 100% of it to God. Some people took some. They took it and they held it. They hid it. And so the nation of Israel marched on the second city. And when they got to the second city, they got decimated. They got destroyed. They got pushed back. They got defeated. And they were freaked out because like, well, God said he'd go with us. He said he'd give us the city. And God, you didn't do what you said you were gonna do. And God's like, yeah, you stole from me. Some of you withheld from me some things that were mine. You didn't give them to me. And until I get them back, I will not be the one that goes before you. And so here's what happened. They went and they found the people that had kept some of the spoils. They returned it to God. And when they marched on the second city a second time, they decimated that city. And they went to the next city and the next city and the next city and the next city. Do you know how many cities there were? 10. You see, what God said is he said, hey, the first city is mine. The other nine cities are yours. God did not take one thing from the people of Israel when they took the other nine cities. He said, I want the first city. And when you give me the first city, the other nine cities, I will provide for you. See, the principle has always been God's. In fact, can I show this to you in what he actually says about this? Here's what he says in Leviticus. He says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. He says, listen, it actually belongs to me. I've just decided that it's mine. It's always been mine. I want you to return it to me. I want you to give it to me. In fact, did you know there's a word that I've always found interesting in the Bible? When it talks about the tithe, it actually never ever uses the word that I have up here. It never uses the word give. In fact, that's why this is kind of a weird word for me to even have this up here today. It never uses the word give. Do you know what word it uses? Let me read it for you. It's the word bring. I'll read it for you one more time. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The reason he says bring is because you cannot give what is not yours. He says that first 10th I've decided is mine. You just have to decide if you're going to honor and trust that. He says, your job is to return it to me and bring it to me. And then when you bring it to me, I can bless you. And the second part of this verse is a little scary. I'm not gonna put it up on the screen. But the verse goes on to say this, that if you don't bring it, you've actually stolen from God. You're stealing from him. And that's really hard language. I remember the first time I heard that as a young man in church, I was like, I don't like that verse. I don't like what it says. I don't like what it implies. I just don't like it. And I used to think that God was trying to guilt me into giving. In fact, even in this room, you can feel that right now. Like, Ted, are you trying to guilt me into giving? No, I actually don't care if you give. Your blessing is between you and God. I'm gonna give because I want God's blessing. What you do is up to you. But here's what I can tell you. I can tell you what I thought was a guilt tactic of God. I realized as I began to trust him and have faith in him and study his word, I realized that God was not trying to guilt me into giving to him. Instead, God was trying to motivate me to trust him. I say, listen, it's not about money. Can I just say this to you? And this might be the most important thing I say is what you give to God is actually not about the money. It's not about the resource. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you go read the Bible, you're gonna find out really quick that God does not need your money. If God wants to, he speaks and universes exist. If God wants, he speaks and it comes into creation. God is not interested in your finances. He's not interested in your money. He's not interested in what you have or what you don't have. Do you know what he's interested? You. He wants you, all of you. And he knows the thing that can get in the way of you and him connecting is money. I don't know why money sits on pedestals real easy. We can put money on pedestals. In fact, Jesus talked about this in the Bible. In fact, I think so many times people think when I get blessed with more, then I'll give more. And I've always said that that's really interesting because all the statistics, all of the, the psychology and sociology tells us this, that the more people have, the less generous they are. You're better off giving when you have a little than giving when you have a lot because when you have a lot, you won't give it. 
That's what they say about us. Why? Because there's something innate in us that we elevate that money. And God says, I need you and I want you. And that money is only gonna get in the way. Jesus talked about it in the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament philosophy. There's some of you might think, well, isn't this just Old Testament law? Man, the tithe was around way before the law and it exists far after the law. In fact, it was Jesus in Luke chapter 11. He said, but woe to you Pharisees for you tithe. You give a 10th of the mint and the rue and every herb, but you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus said, no, I still affirm it even in the New Testament. This is something you should have done, but I'm more concerned about your heart. I'm concerned where you're at with your heart. In fact, um, I wanna take you back real quick with the last few minutes I've got. I wanna take you back to where I see the first example of the tithe in the Bible. And I wanna show you what I think is one of the most fascinating stories. This is thousands of years before we see the tithe mentioned, like actually called out. We see it in the principles of two brothers. Um, if you know the story of uh, creation, God in the garden put Adam and Eve and he walked in the garden with his creation, but Eve sinned and then Adam sinned and they were separated from God. And so God kicked them out of the garden. Like at that point, he removed them from the garden. Once they were out of the garden, they, they began to have kids and they had two sons that you probably have heard their story, the story of Cain and Abel, right? It's the first murder in the Bible, kind of a, a rough story, but it's one that I wanna reference because something happened that led to the murder. And most people don't know what it is that took place to lead to the murder, but I'm gonna show you, it actually revolved around giving. It revolved around giving to God. Let me show you, here's what it says. It says this in Genesis chapter four. It says, in the course of time, say that with me, say course of time. It says, Cain brought to the Lord an offering, say an offering, of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, his brother, also brought of the firstborn, say firstborn, of his flock and their fat portions. All right, so I wanna stop here before I go further. You got two brothers who both bring offerings to God. They both bring something to God. They give something to God. Now, this is way early on, thousands and thousands of years ago. They felt like they needed to give something to God because God demanded a portion. Now, and I wanna show you this because this is just mind-blowing to me that this is like the way God was working. Here's what happens. It says, and the Lord had regard for Abel, who gave the firstborn. He had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now, I wanna leave this up for one second because I wanna show you the differences between the two offerings because one offering God said, yep, good, love it, I'll take it. The other offering God says, nope, can't take it, don't want it, disinterested. And the question becomes why? And I'm gonna give it to you, it's right here in the Bible. Let me break it down the way that I see it. Cain brought what he wanted, when he wanted. Cain brought what he wanted, when he wanted, and God said, no. Abel brought what God wanted, when God wanted, and God said, yes. You see, Abel said, the first is yours. I give it to you, God, because you're worthy of my gifts. Cain said, I'll give you what I have left when I get around to it. And God said, I'm so sorry. It's not gonna work that way. Here's why. Here's the why. God, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, God is preeminent. God is first. It's in his nature. He was there before you, he will be here long after this world is gone. God stands the test of time. He is first. Whether he's first in your life or not is your decision, but he's first in the universe, whether you wanna believe it or not. And he says, I can only receive that which is first because everything in me is first. And he says, I can only take what's first. In fact, here's what happens, because I want you to see this. It says this, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Because even in this room, some of you, me preaching on this, you're like, I'm angry, Ted. I don't wanna be told that I should give this. I'm not telling you you should give this. I'm telling you, here's what God wants from you. But you might be angry about that. And I love this because he says, hey, why are you angry? And then he says this, listen, this is the words. Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, 
If you do what I've asked you to do, will you not be accepted? Like, it's really that simple. If you do the thing I've asked you to do, will you not be accepted? But he goes on and says this, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And then I wanna show you what happens. Like, this is all in order. Gifts were brought. God said, yes. God said, no. Cain was upset. God asked Cain, why are you upset? And it says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and he killed him. You see, what God was trying to pull out of Cain in that moment wasn't about what Cain brought. God did not need Cain's offering. But God wanted Cain's heart and he recognized something in Cain's heart was off. Something in Cain's heart was wrong. And he saw it through the gift that he brought. The gift was the sign that Cain was unhealthy and it led to Cain doing what Cain did. You see, we always try to associate this giving thing that it's like this pressure thing for the church, that it's about the church, it's about the buildings, it's about the pastors, it's about the staff, it's about all these things. But it's not. I wanna illustrate one last thing. Let me give it to you this way. If I had 10, $10 bills, which I really hope I still do after doing three services. I still do, okay. If I have 10 $10 bills, we've just been talking about for 25 minutes. If there's 10 of these, according to the Bible, according, according to God, how many of these do I need to return back to God if there's 10 of them? I need to return one. One of these goes back to God. Now, here's what tends to happen. Earlier, I told you most of us function in this way, and I think that there's something to be said for doing it differently. All right, so I wanna just, just shift this. I'm gonna move the give down to this end. What tends to happen is people will pay their bills, pay their bills, pay their bills, buy the things they want. They get down to the end. They're like, hey, we should probably, yeah, let's save something. And then if we get down to the end, you're like, all right, I did it. I did the math and I've got the last one here. It's the 10th that I owe to God. God, I'm now gonna give you what it is that is yours. Here's where the problem comes in. You got the amount right. You nailed the amount, but the problem is it's not just the amount. It was the order in which it was given. You see, God doesn't want what's left over, even if it equals a 10th. Keep in mind what I said before. He doesn't care about the amount. We get so caught up on the amount. Oh my God, it's this, I mean, God, if you knew what I made, it's, it's, it's a lot of money. He's like, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the money. Let me say it again. He doesn't care about the money. He cares about you. He wants you. And he knows that in order to get you, he wants your first and your best gift. You see, the change becomes when we move out of this space of going, God, I'm gonna do it my way in my order. And God says, hey, what if you did it in my way, in my order? And it comes down to trust. Can I show you how this is trust? The way it's trust is it's easy when you've got a bunch of it to look at it and organize it and decide where it's gonna go. It's easy for us to say, hey, God, I got, a, I got a plan and my spreadsheet's gonna work out this way. And God's like, I don't care about the spreadsheet. What I care about is that when you get it, I want the first one and I want the 10th. I want you to give it to me. And then what it means is that now you have to have the faith that whatever's left is gonna be enough for this. It says that, God, I'm gonna trust you with this. And then now I'm gonna pay my bills. And now I'm gonna plan and now I'm gonna save. But God, because I gave it to you first, I know that you are in it. And because you're in it, now I can trust that you can bless these other two areas and you can bless other, every other area of my life. And you know what makes it fun? Is when you begin to get this right, there are people that would love to tell you how you should spend this. Have you noticed that? There's tons of people that love to tell you what you do with your money. What I love about this is when you do this right, I don't have to give a rip about what you think about what I do with any of this. Right, because at this point, I've honored God. If you don't like the car I drive, that's on you. You don't like the house I was able to buy, that's on you. You don't like the things that I'm able to do, that's on you because I've been faithful to God and God's the only one I answer to at the end of this whole thing anyways. I don't answer to you. And there's freedom in it. But then it allows God to say, God, now I'm going to trust you to bless the rest. And this is the concept. When you bring God your first and your best, he promises to bless the rest. And I don't know about you, but I want God's blessing. And I don't know how that's gonna play out for you, but I wanna kind of just go back to what I said at the very beginning. 
I said at the very beginning, I don't want anything from you, but I want God's best for you. And I wanna prove that right now. Every time I preach on giving, I know there's someone in the room going, Ted, you're a good communicator. And I know that you've just wooed me into this space where I feel like I wanna give, but I still think there's an ulterior motive. I think it's because you, you want something from me. Like Vale wants something from me. Like, don't you get paid a salary to do this job? So technically, if I give to church, I'm technically giving to you, aren't I? See, there's a, there's a, there's a motive there. I wanna remove that from you. So here's what I want. I want so badly for God's blessing to be in your life. If you have a motive check going on in the back of your mind right now, I release you from that. And here's the way I'm gonna release you. There are a bunch of other churches in this town that would love to get your gift. And so maybe, just maybe, you should go there and give your gift and attend here. I don't care. I don't know what you give. I won't know what you give when you start to give. I won't know if you don't give. And I love it that way. I get to pastor and preach to you as if you're a giver. And if you're not, that's between you and the Lord. You don't want his blessing. That's on you. That's not on me. My job is to preach, teach, and proclaim God's goodness and his power in his word. And the word says you give, God blesses. That's the message. But if you don't want to give it here, give it somewhere else. Attend here. I love that for you because I don't want you to miss out on the blessing that God has for you. I want you to experience it. And so if you need to for the next three months, try it. If you've never done it, take the steps. We automate the important in our lives. Give it and see what God does through it. Put him to the test for three months. See what he does. My challenge to you is though to test God and see if he is not good. And the last thing I'll say is this. Let me give you the practical side. We're getting ready to walk into a season of transition here at Vail. And I know that anytime a pastor leaves, there's a tendency for people to ask this question like, oh, should I stay at the church? Like, is this my time to check out other churches? Well, should I continue to give? Like, should I continue to serve? I... And let me just tell you, like, you shouldn't be giving because of me in the first place. You shouldn't be attending because of me in the first place. You shouldn't be serving because of me in the first place. You should be serving, giving, and doing all the things you do because God is first in the first place. He's the one that you came for. He's the one you came to serve. And so the reason this is a great time to jump into giving is this. Right now, we're gonna go through a season where we're about to get a new lead pastor in the next six months. I don't know who they're gonna be, but I'm already praying for them. I'm praying that God would bless them, work in them, that they'd be a leader that you need to take you to the next place. And here's what I would love to see happen is over the next six months, if this church began to give, we began to test God, to trust God, it's gonna do two things. One, it's gonna prepare you to be the people that God wants you to be. And two, it's gonna put Vail in a position that when that new leader gets here, they don't have to come in and go, how are we gonna to pay to do this? They get to come in and say, God, what do you want us to do? And the answer is yes, because we have everything that we need to do it because God's people have been faithful to what you've called them to do. And here's what I know. Last thing, last thing. I know this is good. I'm preaching good. This is great. <laughs> Check this out. The kingdom of God will run at the speed of your sacrifice. That has always been true. This place will run at the speed of your sacrifice. When you sacrifice, this place will have the resource it needs that when God opens a door, this place can say, yes, we can move and we can meet the needs that God has in front of us. Why? Because our faithfulness will set the pace at which God's church moves. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, here's my challenge to you. Where is the place that God is asking you to step up, step out and test him? I can tell you one of the greatest places to do that is in your giving. And so I'm gonna pray today that God would move in your heart, that today you test him, you'd put him to the test. You'd give in a way you've never given before, that you'd step in and you'd see if he is not good. Heavenly Father, I pray today for each and every single person here. God, I pray for the people online. God, I pray that you'd move us into a space of generosity. God, where we would give to you what is yours, and God, we would watch as you bless what is left. God, I pray that you do something miraculous and powerful in this place, that you'd change our hearts and our minds, that God, we'd see your kingdom the way that you want us to, and that God, we'd function in the way that you've called us to. And God, that through that, you would do the miraculous. If there's anyone in here today or online, you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, 
I've always loved this idea that God calls us to give because the truth is, is God gave to you first. The Bible says that while you were still a sinner, Christ came and he died for you. You see, God gave his first and his best gift to you. He gave his one and his only son, his best gift. He gave it to you. Even before you ever received it or accepted, he gave it, he sacrificed it for you. Why? Because God is a giver. And today he wants to give you his forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised his son Jesus from the dead, if you believe that and you confess with your lips that he's your Lord, that he's your savior, God says in that moment, I will save you. I will forgive you. If you want that right now, wherever you are, you just talk to God, you just pray. You say, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the gift that he is. Thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection. I place my faith, my trust, and Jesus is my Lord as my savior. And in that moment, as you pray, as you believe, as you trust, God saves you instantly because of his goodness, his grace. God, thank you for those that are saying, yes, I pray you send the Holy Spirit to guide, lead, empower them. Help them to follow you, God, help them to obey you. God, we love you. Thank you for your blessings that you pour out into our life. It's in your precious and powerful name, the name of Jesus that we pray. And the church said, amen. 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 Can we just celebrate God in this place? He's good. Hey, real quick. If today you said yes to Jesus for the very first time, we wanna know about that. Um, We would love to walk along that journey with you. In the seat pocket in front of you, there's a card that says next. Take a moment, fill that card out. If you're online or you don't like to write things down, you can actually text in the word next to 309-777-0677. Some of our team wants to connect with you. Uh, We wanna walk alongside you as you take this journey. We're excited to see what God is gonna do in and through you. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe. Visit our website at vail.church and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, Give generously and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.